AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. The soybean oil market anchored beans and encouraged spreading against soybean meal while corn and wheat kind of acted like observers rather than participating in today's activities. Cattle futures are wanting more direction from the cash trade and the all or nothing hog traders were back on the buy side of the market. All right. Welcome to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Glad that you are with us this afternoon. <laughs> Sorry. I didn't press just, my button. <laughs> Live from Farms Are All Broadcast Studio. This is AgriTalk. Don't you know? This afternoon, Sam Hudson from Corn Belt Marketing is our guest analyst. Right after the news with Michelle Rook, we'll hear from Oliver Slope of Blue Line Futures. Our producer, Big Apple Joe Stackler. And now Joey, the host okay. of AgriTalk. Chip Flory. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Great job. Great oh. job. You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My best one yet. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to AgriTalk. I am Chip Flory. That was Big Apple Joe Stackler. And welcome. Welcome to AgriTalk. Uh, we've, we've got a lot of ground that we are going to cover in the conversations Today, I've also got a few observations that I want to share at the end of the show uh, on some of the th- so, some of the thoughts around the, the the biofuels information and happenings that have come our way this week. Uh, one thing that I want to talk about at the end of the show is the new legislation that would allow for year-round availability of E15. Uh, why in the world would the American Petroleum Institute be in support of making E15 available? I've got some thoughts on that, and uh, I want to share them with you before we get to the free-for-all tomorrow so that I can say that it was out there before we get too many comments uh, from Wiesmeyer Haney, and it looks like Mark Recker tomorrow morning on the free-for-all. All right, Michelle Rook. How are you this afternoon, Michelle? It has been a busy day, so I just <laughs> flew in the door here. I hear you. Been running since that RFS announcement this morning. Yep. Yeah, that came out about four minutes before we went on the air this morning. But Emily Score did a great job of breaking it down, the CEO of Growth Energy. Uh, it, as, as I know you've observed, Michelle, the National Corn Growers, the Renewable Fuels Association, uh, American Coalition of Ethanol, uh, Growth Energy, are all very encouraged by the proposed RVOs or uh, uh, renewable volume obligations, blending obligations. Mm-hmm. But the ASA, American Soybean Association, and Clean Fuels Alliance, which which is uh, uh, the old biodiesel board, not so impressed because it it fell short uh, in their opinion yeah. of what was expected for the renewable diesel and the biodiesel. Yeah, they were disappointed, and obviously the soybean oil market was very disappointed today yes. too. 
Absolutely. All right. We got a lot of ground to cover. Let's get to the news. Well, in wheat export sales in the week ending November 24th, totaled 155,500 metric tons, well short of trade expectations. Algeria and Mexico topped the list of buyers. Total wheat commitments are 6.1% behind a year ago, compared to USDA's estimate that exports will decline 3.1%. Now, March SRW wheat posted an inside trading day with a high-range open and low-range close, even with the U.S. dollar index more than 1,000 points lower. Speculators were willing to continue to rebuild short positions. March HRW wheat futures, nine and a half cents lower at 890 and a quarter. March SRW wheat fell 12 and a half cents to 783, and spring wheat was at 938 down a nickel. On the day. Yeah, just a basically reversal of what we saw yesterday at the end of the month as traders were stepping in and taking some profits on the short positions. Now they're getting those shorts back in position. Yep, and continue to push short here, especially in Chicago. Corn export sales in the week ending on November 24th totaled 603,000 metric tons. Now that was on the low end of trade expectations, Mexico accounting for more than 387,000 metric tons of the sales, easily topping the list of buyers. Corn export bookings are about 48% behind this time last year compared to USDA's estimate, and sales will slide another 13% from a year ago, according to that estimate. Now, March corn futures opened just fractionally lower, tried to rally, then fell to test support near the bottom of the sideways pattern at 660. Let's hope it holds. March corn was six and a half cents lower at 660 and a half. July closed at 654, down five and three quarters cents on the day. Yeah, knocking on the door is some critical support in that corn market. Absolutely. We'll watch that. I think that's right around where the 100-day moving average comes in, so mm-hmm. pretty critical. Soybean export sales, nearly 694,000 metric tons in line with trade expectations, but really did very little to support prices because the soybean oil market suffered sharp declines, actually imploded as traders responded to EPA's proposed blending obligations that failed to recognize expected increased use of renewable diesel in the years ahead. January bean futures posted a high-range open and a low-range close with prices just above last week's low of 1424. Jan beans were 39 and three quarters cents lower at 1429 and three quarters. July at 1448 and a half down 37 and a half cents. All right, Michelle. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and finish up the news at the bottom of the uh, or at the start of the next segment because no I, we've got Oliver Slope here, and I know that you want to hear what Oliver's got to say as well. So let's get him in here. Oliver Slope from Blue Line Futures. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Chip. How about yourself? Better than the bean market. (laughs) I was hoping we'd focus on uh, a silver lining or two, but yeah, just a a total meltdown. I mean, first half of the week, it was like, all right, it's time to boogie. We got out above trend line resistance yesterday, and then today it just gave it all right back. Uh, You know, trading right around the 200-day moving average below that. uh, You know, there's not a whole lot of support for another 20 cents or so. So it'll be interesting to see how we finish up the week all in all i i still think that we can hold the lower end of support and kind of you know move past the today's news hopefully knock on wood uh but it's it's just one of those markets that it has been for pretty much every commodity market it's a revolving door of news uh we've got jobs tomorrow we've got an opec meeting over the weekend and you know it's just never ending so yeah yeah, absolutely. Okay, if you want to talk silver linings, we got hogs higher on the week now. 
<laughs> Hogs, a, a huge move today and a nice reversal yesterday after taking out the previous day's lows. That set us up in a good spot uh, for today's session. But, you know, take it with a grain of salt. We're really just kind of right back to where we finished last week's trade. We need to see some follow through momentum. And there's trend line resistance up near 91 that the bulls really want to get out above for that February contract to get excited about a move back towards contract highs. Yeah. All right. Well, we've got a little bit of time left here. Take us over to live cattle. What are you seeing there? Yeah, live cattle, we've been a little bit skeptical on here in the near term. Uh, you know, the cash market is hanging in there pretty well. February, I'm not sure it's yeah. going to be able to get get going too much more. But looking a little bit further down the timeline, we're, we're pretty optimistic on that April contract. We're coming into a seasonally friendly time of year. I believe that seasonal starts next week. We're knocking at the door of, uh, of contract highs. We've had nice higher lows and higher highs for the past couple of months. And uh, it's cliche, but the trend is your friend. So and, and gotcha. until it ends, I think you just ride gotcha. it. Gotcha. Give me, give me five seconds on rule. Do you like it or hate it? I love it. I, it's, ah. I finally have something to get excited about with regards to <laughs> Nebraska football. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. Thank you, Oliver. That is Oliver Slope, Blue Line Futures. We've got Sam Hudson up next. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. We don't make the news, we render it. Agritalk. Welcome back to Agritalk. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you're with us this afternoon. We're going to get to a conversation with Sam Hudson, Corn Belt Marketing, as soon as I wrap up the markets here. Cotton traded on both sides of unchanged and ended the day with modest gains. March cotton 24 points higher, 84.85. Cash cattle bids inched to the upside already this week, but... That failed to support live cattle features today. February live cattle, 25 cents lower at 155.42 and a half. April live cattle down two and a half cents at 159.25. January feeders, 60 cents higher on the losses in corn at 181.07 and a half. Lean hog futures retook Monday's sharp losses to push prices higher on the week today. February hogs, $3.85 higher at 89.20. April hogs jumped 360 to 94.25. Sam Hudson, Corn Belt Marketing. How are you today, my friend? Good, Chip. How you doing? Doing real fine, real fine. So, uh, you know, when, when we look at where we're trying to should should start today, we got to start in the soy complex and the sharp losses that we've got that, that we saw in soybean oil, the the, the blending obligations that were, or the proposed blending obligations 
that were revealed from EPA today looked like it, it, it was a real disappointment to those that had gotten onto the long side of the bean oil market in front of the announcement. Yeah, well, and, and this is just uh, almost a microcosm of the entire situation. I mean, how long have we been talking about all the optimism building for biodiesel, what it's going to look like in the future, how much you know, are we going to be able to expand it, look at all the crushing plants we're putting up, this and that. But, you know, th- this just looks like more of what we've always gotten. And that is, you know, a lot of long term you know, promises with a lot of short term, you know, smoke and mirrors in terms of whether it's waivers or credits or whatever. Um, and at the end of the day, it just kind of keeps a glass ceiling on, on biofuels in, in general and, and kind of reverts me back to, well, it's a, it's a spot market. We got to treat it as such. And as long as it looks good for now, you know, we can put our expectations for the next two or three months. But next two or three years, I think, it is really hard to really conclude anything out of this. Yeah. Interesting. I'm glad that you used the word ceiling because I think the, when, when, the, when the market is looking at mandates, they look at the mandated number that comes out and they say, okay, well, that's the market. That's not the market. The market, the mandates are, are a usage floor. Uh, usage if it's a reference point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Usage can be bigger than what is quote unquote mandated. If there is demand for the product, right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. And, 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 you know, there again, you know, it, we don't know what all the dynamics are going to line up to, to, you know, predict this or that two or three years out from now, but the rhetoric that, that's coming out, I think is the most important thing. And that is to, you know, not get too, uh, you know, tied onto that horse, uh, you know, too early. Mm. You know, it, it's interesting. And, and Sam, believe me, it, it, when, the, even though I'm, I'm kind of questioning some of those thoughts, what what you're saying was reflected ten ways today in the markets. No, there, there is no question about that. But when when the industry looks at those numbers, how can you how can the industry look at the at the mandates or the the blending obligations that were proposed today against the investment that the refiners have made in refining against the investment that the refiners have made in the crush facilities. They've spoken for that soybean oil that will be coming from those, those crush facilities. It just seems, you know, talking long-term, short-term, it seems short-sighted to me to just say, well, this, the, the, that's it. it, And that's a disappointment for this market going forward. It, it seemed like an overreaction is what I'm trying to say. I would agree. And, and I think part of this is, is probably just the market makeup we've seen of late. You know, we've continued to see you know, more current and steady soybean demand, a tighter carryout, 5% stocks, the usage of any market had momentum. It was the bean market. Um, and then you kind of just took all that away in, in one foul swoop at a time where funds are caught long in the oil, you know, soy oil complex. So, you know, we'll see uh, how far it can, you know, really run here. I think the December, uh, in, which is in delivery, was down even further yet than the limit. But so, so I'd expect a lower open, but how far we run. You know, left to be seen. It'd be uh, interesting to see if we could flush the $14 mark, but I don't know how much traction you're going to get below there until we see South American weather start to offer some confirmation. Yeah, yeah. You know, you just reminded me, we haven't even given how the soybean oil market closed today. Just said sharply lower. Michelle defined it very well when she said it imploded. Uh, The December contract today down 683 points. Don't forget, the market is trading at 6840. So, I mean... (laughs) 
we lost about 10% of the value or a little bit less than that because we started from the higher, of course, but um, big losses in that market. And then the January, March, May contracts all limit down, down the 450 point daily limit today, the January at 6738. So it's uh, yeah, a, a big, heavy reaction to it. And if they were selling it, it looked like some of the traders decided to step in and buy bean by being meal against it, right? Yeah, there's quite a quite an unwinding there, and I, I don't know if being meal, you know, can you know can do all that heavy lifting on its own here, and we should expect it to continue higher. But you know, it may hold its own at least with some of these spreads unwinding and the knee jerk reaction that we've seen. Right. Okay. So, but going into the crop, you know, crop report next week, though, I mean, I think that you know this is going to offer just enough capitulation. You get those beans back below the 200-day moving average. We're still above the 100-day moving average. We got a number coming up, and just feels like we could uh, kind of go radio silent here for a while again until we start looking at January report expectations. Hey, that's not a bad silver lining right there. Just call today, hitting the reset button in front of uh, next Friday's reports, and and when we take another look at some of the the global crop estimates and and the total use what do you think we do with soybean export estimate it next week is it has it been the pace been strong enough to uh to prevent any cuts from usda i think so if we see any changes at all up or down i don't think it's going to be big enough to probably matter that much we're still ahead on sales we're, we're pretty current on shipments you know, compared to corn, where we're, we're what thirteen percent behind on sales, behind on shipments. I mean, it's just atrocious there. I would expect fifty to a hundred million cut on the corn export side of things. But beans, yeah, there, there's just not much elasticity to some of these numbers here, and I think we're going to just see a lot more influence on some of these weather forecasts you know, as we move forward along. And you mentioned the reset button, I guess, pertaining to corn. It's getting a little bit of a reset button in itself, uh, in, in the wheat for that matter too. You know, with the open interest dropping off with these December contracts going into delivery. Now, if you end up with some sort of a catalyst here over the next thirty to forty-five days, you could see a uh, a lot of people wanting to come back onto the boat. Okay. You know, I had a, I've got a note here to ask you specifically about the sentiment in the corn market, in the wheat markets, because, and, and the reason I want to ask you this, Sam is I know, I know you track it very closely, but I'm not convinced there is an overall or overriding sentiment in the corn and wheat markets right now. Is there? No, probably more so corn, but it's a, it's a similar action. We haven't had many stories to trade. We had a few headlines in wheat to trade there at the very beginning of the month. And since then, it's just been kind of a slow bleed out. If there's been sentiment, it's been in the cash markets. And we've seen that since harvest. We saw you know, just a perfect okay. gradient in terms of a heat map when you look at corn basis as soon as harvest wrapped up where we were dollar plus over all the way to the west. Uh, you know, and, and even saw some, you know, options even under basis levels as we get central and east. We still generally see that makeup, but we've seen, you know, things start to adjust a little bit now as those cattle, feed, cattle feeders get a lot of their needs kind of booked on the front end. They get it packed in a pile and they'll figure out what they need later. Okay. All right. Uh, back to a comment that you made just a moment ago, 50 to 100 million bushels off of the corn export estimate in the USDA Supply and demand report next week is a, is a possibility. If we get that kind of a cut, does it matter to the market? Be, because I think everybody's anticipating that much of a cut, aren't they? Uh, that's what I was just going to say. I mean, I, I feel like yeah. that number itself is built in. I think there could be some other things surrounding it that we would look at. But I think the bigger risk is you go, you know you get past that number, kind of get to that realization. 
Uh, I don't think you're getting a lot of farmer selling down at these levels. I think you're getting a lot of more interest in deliveries and, and merchandising and stuff like that. From, from a pricing standpoint, you're going to get to a point here where you're going to shut that off. Um, and that's where the market has to decide if it wants to come find it again. And, and I'm, you know, I think everyone's going to be waiting for it. And I think that's another reason to be a little bit negative basis here, uh, especially with our markets here, central Illinois along the river. I mean, barge freight isn't going anywhere. Uh, right. Moisture levels look terrible. Uh, I do think you oh. could eventually get some of that back come March, April, but we're going to be, it's going to be a long winter. Yep. Yep. You know what? Every Thursday, the Iowa fishing report from the Department of Natural Resources comes out, and I always check it. It always comes out just before we go on the air, Sam, but I, I've been making a, a habit of checking it for the show because they make a prediction on what's going to be happening to the water levels at the different pools up and down the river, okay? Every pool that I looked at in the fishing report for Iowa is predicting that water levels are going down again. Yeah. And they got any USDA predictions on that for January? Yeah, I'm sure that they, I, you know what I don't know about that, but the DNR certainly says that it looks like these water levels are going down at as far as I can tell at every pool in Iowa. So that's going to make this shipping situation even that much more difficult. Okay, we got to talk more about that when we come back. Also, what do we do about all this? What do we do as far as risk management goes? Sam Hudson, Corn Belt Marketing. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. The U.S. Uh, stakeholders are close to a deal to export Russian ammonia through Ukraine. That ought to be an interesting. A pipeline to the Black Sea port in Ukraine would be used to move the nitrogen from Russia to the export locations. By the way, it is time for news of no from Pro Farmer. Brazilian President-elect Lula's transition team has held meetings with the soy industry to discuss a new pact to stop deforestation in the Cerrado Savannah. The Wall Street Journal says the EU has asked members to set the Russian price cap at $60 per barrel on crude oil. And in demand news this week, South Korea has purchased 133,000 metric tons of corn to be sourced from South America or South Africa. That is Pro Farmer's news of note. Give Pro Farmer a try at tryprofarmer.com. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. The best talkers in ag, including you. Join the conversation on AgriTalk 
Call us at 855-4-TALK-AG. I think I'll take a moment to celebrate my age. You know, and the turning of a page. I am looking forward to my next thirty years. Even more so today that I don't have Davis to argue with about that. Welcome back to Hagrid Talk. I'm Chip Flory. We're in the middle of a conversation with Sam Hudson from Corn Belt Marketing. First, I'm going to recap where the markets closed. March HRW wheat features nine and a half cents lower at eight ninety and a quarter. March SRW wheat fell twelve and a half cents to seven eighty three. March corn futures six and a half cents lower at six sixty and a half. July corn futures closed at seven fifty four, down five and three quarter cents. January beans thirty nine and three quarter cents lower at fourteen twenty nine and three quarters. July beans closed at fourteen forty eight and a half, down thirty seven and a half cents. March cotton twenty four points higher, eighty four eighty five. February cattle twenty five cents lower, one fifty five forty two and a half. January feeders. 60 cents higher at 181.07 and a half and February hogs 385 higher at 89.20. Today's guest analyst Sam Hudson Corn Belt Marketing Sam we let let's continue on with with some of the the barge issues and the freight rates and the what it's doing to basis. How has that influenced how you're going about marketing the 22 crop? Uh, well, you know, knowing that we were going to be challenged with this year at the onset of harvest and not knowing how long it could last, our, our real goal was, you know, keep in mind, we had a really big crop around here. We set a lot of yeah. records, so we knew we were going to have a pretty good amount of inventory to move. We were very fortunate in the fact that uh, we were also able to get into the fields early in this area this year, and we delivered a lot right off the combine. And so that's a huge benefit to producers locally here that were able to get corn in dry enough that could get, you know, some of those big premiums. And so we hit that as hard as we could. Once that uh, kind of slipped away, um, you know, it became, okay, let's get everything, you know, in the bins if, uh, if there's space and, and uh, you know, continue to merchandise that front end as necessary because we saw those processors starting to get booked up for December. And we knew that if the export market did not recover, that that was the best it was going to get. And so far, that seems to be true. Um, you know, like I mentioned, I think that, you know, could you know, come back again come March, April, but we're going to have to put some water in the river first or have the market go down to find that demand. Uh, for it to improve yeah are we going to be sending much illinois corn to the feed yards out west that's the struggle right now that's what these processes are fighting uh they're not they're probably fighting that as much as they are uh, the export market in general it's probably a bigger fight to make sure that they keep it here because if they don't uh you know keep their bids strong enough they're going to lose it to that rail market down to hereford um you know they need it and it's still dry out west in the plains i think this is gonna be a talking point as we go into next year too uh wheat acreage will probably be the first thing uh, we discuss in terms of abandonment uh you know coming out of a winter but uh you know that's that's gonna be something that's gonna be lingering over this market uh all the way through next summer and we'll see what kind of rains that they get in the plains to, to see what kind of expectations can be garnished from that on 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 grass uh into next summer yeah yeah i i like the timeline that you put on that it's not just a winter issue that we are dealing with. It it does take us into the into the middle of the summer at least, I would think, uh, uh, next year with with trying to get enough corn in position out in the west to satisfy the feed demand. Some some rain in the spring or the promise of rain in the spring doesn't put any more feed in the bunker for those feed yards, does it? No, it sure doesn't. And that's the thing. And that, you know, and that's 
part of the reason we were also looking to take advantage of bases on the front end, even out west. You know, I know there's a lot of fears about, you know, what are they going to have to bid up for it? But they're asking for it now. Um, you know, some of you know, cattle feeders more often than not, like you said, well, they'll get all their needs on the front end and pack it in to, to make sure they've got at least a good chunk of it and then go hand to mouth later on, depending on some of these variables that we're talking about. If we start getting some rains out there, you know, earlier than normal, things look a little bit better. They may drag their feet and stay hand to mouth versus if it stays dry. Uh, there's going to be that desire to, to, to keep, uh, you know, feed around all throughout. Okay. Um, before we, before I get a little bigger picture on some of your risk management ideas, give me your impression on South America. What's factored into the markets right now? Uh, The acreage expansion is definitely factored in in terms of everyone knows it's coming, Uh, you know, and and kind of circle back to that, that I think these markets could kind of take a broadening range approach here over the next few months. Uh, Weather has to perform because keep in mind that, I mean, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. If we expand four to six million acres, but have a yield, you know, pull down there, uh, it becomes problematic right away. Uh, I I think Argentina, though, is the first uh, thing to keep an eye on here from a risk premium standpoint. I don't think we've got a lot of risk premium from weather premium standpoint. Um, as you fast forward in the next two weeks into the end of December, if they start to get behind on planting pace, they will wait uh, until they have you know moisture to germinate. But if you string that along for too long, uh, our Argentina corn crop is going to be you know pretty important here for world demand as we get into spring and summer. And that's exactly what I'm talking about from an export standpoint. We put water back in those rivers, drop the you know drop the price or basis or whatever uh, you know flat price, and then we see you know some of these problems start to erupt, and we're going to find that demand again. Yeah. You know, we, we, we keep kind of dancing around this, the, 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 the fact that corn exports stink right now. And in the background of all of this, I keep thinking, how big of a deal is it that three or four vessels loaded with corn left Brazil headed for China this week, Sam? Yeah, well, I mean, it just goes to show how we're priced in the world market. And, you know, I, I think that's a reflection of, of how... You know, some uh, the cash prices and flat prices generally has performed here over the last several weeks. Uh, we have a domestic end user that you know needs it and is trying to find it. Uh, and at this point, the exporter doesn't want it. Pretty soon, it's it's trucking season, and and you know now it needs to be hauled, whether you like it or not. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting. Okay, when you start thinking about twenty three crop marketings and risk management, what's at the top of your list of things that is driving your decision making right now? Uh, it's obviously the input costs are something that's going to be a staple there every year, obviously. And we know a finite amount of that, you know, people have, you know, enough locked in, they have an idea of how good or bad it's going to be. Uh, thing I've been really hammering home though, is interest rates, you know, we're paying down a lot of debt on the farm. You fast forward two years and if you don't make some forward sales, even if it's not at a price that, you know, a margin that you really like, uh, you could find yourself borrowing money or, you know, eight, eight and a half percent potentially. And that's a huge difference when you look at overall margins and you look at land costs. Uh, and some of these other variable costs involved, uh, you just don't want to get wrapped up in. So it's just kind of a safer approach. Doesn't mean you got to go out and sell your entire anticipated crop, but start building an average, find a way to do that. Um, and that's why we, you know, typically start using a premium offer in, you know, OTC strangle type of contracts uh, for the new crop marketing year in the September prior, because there's a ton of time to be collected. We know those new crop contracts aren't going to show a lot of movement. Uh, and we can collect a pretty good chunk of change, you know, between, you know, SEP, OCK, NOVE, and, and by the time we get to February, March, April. Okay. Okay. What about the, uh, since you mentioned, mentioned interest rates in here, it triggered the thought, what about the influence of the outside markets? Uh, I'm talking about energies. I'm talking about treasuries, uh, equities even. 
the influence of those markets on the ag markets going forward, how does that influence what you're deciding to do longer term? You know, I think that becomes a, a much larger role as we get into spring and summer of next year, you know, depending on how they're positioned from a money flow standpoint. Uh, we've shaved off, uh, you know, a decent amount of length in these markets actually on the fund side of things over the last, you know, month and a half uh, to somewhat manageable levels. And that takes some of the fear out of my chest in terms of, hey, if we wake up and crude oil is down $10 or, you know, the Dow is down a thousand points or something, are we going to see this massive liquidation? Well, you might, uh, but they're not holding necessarily historical longs like we had seen, you know, coming out of the summer timeframe. So, uh, and I just mentioned, you know, the option open, or excuse me, open interest in general here with these December contracts going off the board, you know, throw a catalyst in here in Ukraine again, um, you know, something like that to get people back into the market. That's all this thing needs to, to get some steam rolling the other way. Uh, and hopefully the bulls can win Christmas. Yeah, I like that. I like that. U.S. dollar index under 105 today, down like 1,200 points. Does that help out our cause at all? Or does it have to turn into actual demand first? Uh, I think I have to turn in actual demand first. Yeah. I, I tend to think that we're probably closer to uh, an intermediate term low, you know, in the dollar at this point with the break that we've seen. Mm -hmm. I think you could trade that anywhere from 103 to one, you know, 115, maybe something like that here over the next six months. And the value there, the currency exchange between us and South America, don't get me wrong, it matters, but I don't think it, it matters a lot more once they start harvesting. You know, if someone needs corn right now, and it just makes sense, we're the only game in town. When you get into those hand-to-mouth needs, I don't think you're going to see a lot of influence. But when there's a bunch of new supply on the market, that's when you're going to see a little bit more proof in that. Okay. Okay. Um, chart action on the, just the grain markets in general. Is there anything that's got you really concerned right now? Um, you know, the capitulation in beans today, you have to notice yeah. it. Like I said, we got back under the 200-day moving average, uh, back under kind of a longer-term, you know, uh, trend line and back into a wedge pattern. As long as we hold, you know, 1375, 1380, I tend to think the market's still generally intact in, in here. Uh, but that's something to watch, especially with people being caught long soil. I think that's more of a short-term thing. But, um, you know, a lot more stability there than what we've seen in the grains. And I think wheat, you know, if wheat can post some sort of a bottom here or, or at least offer a base, then it gives corn a chance uh, when you continue to see this leaky faucet type of sieve action. It's just hard to gain a lot of momentum in general, especially when you got farmers, you know, this time of year that are always looking to add a little hedge pressure on any rally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that wheat market, good grief. It It's just dying for another headline, isn't it? It, it, it's dying. <laughs> it's definitely dying. It definitely needs a headline. You know, I don't know that, that uh, when you were talking about, I'm trying to figure out how much money I'm going to put towards this pipeline in Ukraine. That thing sounds pretty safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's get the ammonia flowing again and uh, get the, get the ammonia out of Russia and in, into the world markets. Uh, all right, buddy. Hey, it, any any last we've only got about 20 seconds but any last thoughts that that you want listeners to hear oh don't get too entrenched in the headlines this day to day i guess you know it's going to take some time for the big picture to unfold but keep in mind that big picture is, is the threat at this point with the cycle that we've seen and you know just know where you stand that's, that's the biggest message i can always you know project and you got to make the decision from there good stuff today sam really good solid work man thank you so much Thank you. Take care. Uh, you bet. That is Sam Hudson, Corn Belt Marketing. Okay, when we come back, we'll put a wrap on that conversation with Sam and maybe have a few thoughts on why the Petroleum Institute might be supporting year-round availability of E15. That's next. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, 
timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. AgriTalk is brought to you by the Conservation at Work video series. Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Michelle Rook joins us again. Hey, Michelle. Hey there. Yeah. What'd you make of the conversation with Sam? Uh, I agree with him on a lot of the factors that are moving the market and how much of the South American crop is kind of already priced into these markets, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of where we go from here. Yeah. I thought your interest, I thought your discussion about the cash grain market is super interesting because really we know cash is really the king here so absolutely yeah and i uh, as i said to sam i like his timeline on it because Mm -hmm. i've talked to enough people that think well you know this is something that will we'll we'll be able to to put an end to some of the the uncertainty by the time we get to the end of january february i think they may be referring to the idea that we're going to move enough grain enough corn into the system to to fill some of the demand holes that are out there is what I think is what they are thinking. But the uncertainty that, that Sam talked about, I think is legit and, and keeps it as an issue deeper into the year than, than some people think, Michelle, I, you you know, this, and I've said it a, a million times and I know you have too. But the cash market does the heavy lifting. It does in in, in these markets, and uh, uh, there's still a lot of heavy lifting to do in allocating the 2022 corn crop out there. Right, no no doubt. And I brought this up earlier this week, and it still holds. Um, mm-hmm. That's why some of these farmers have been hesitant to sell, not only because of Rand- what Randy said yesterday about some of them do have enough cash right now. So they don't need to sell, but also because basis levels have continued to improve and they think they're going to get even better after the first of the year when we get into those really tight situations. Um, And so that's why they're holding out and not selling a lot. Right. Right. Okay. Well, I just turned around and looked at the TV and I see a headline that says the Senate has enough votes to pass a bill blocking the railroad strike. So well, that's good. Hopefully, news. yeah. Hopefully, that is good news. It is. It it is for the uh, 
for everybody except for the laborers that don't want to support the, the, the deal that the White House has put forward, I guess. Yeah. For the so, unions, obviously, yeah. aren't going to like it. So Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. You know, it. I've been trying to understand the union positions and the railroad positions on it as well. Because, you know, we're talking about one sick day. And it's to, now that I've done some more reading on it over the last 24 hours, it does look like it's one sick day that that they're wanting in the contract. But because of the precision scheduling that the rail is operating with, if they build in any kind of flexibility, like a paid sick day for the employees, they lose the precision on the scheduling. Yeah. <laughs> it, it it blows me away that, that that's where we are here. Well, it's kind of the nature of the beast. It's like us being in broadcasting, you know. You might have a holiday, but if the markets are open, you and I are working, so. Yep, yep. We're working, and if we don't put some kind of a show in place, there's dead air. Right. <laughs> and I don't know why, but radio stations don't like the dead air, Michelle. Not I so fi- much. Yeah, figured that out. Um, Emily Score this morning, the CEO of Growth Energy, I think she did a great job of going through and giving us the highlights, um, the high points from the proposed RVOs. We did ask her about the year-round availability of E15, new piece of legislation that would provide for that, and the fact that the American Petroleum Institute supports the legislation. And I asked her why. She didn't want to really make a comment on that. Um, but to me, Michelle, if we're talking about big oil, if we're talking about refiners, heck, if we're talking about business in any segment of of the american economy you got to follow the dollar to figure out why these organizations are making the decisions that they are making so think about it the when e10 came on the market it was at 89 octane um and and the reason for that is because the refiners were putting a blend stock onto the market that was already at 87 octane so that it was legal to sell at the pump. So they just took their reg- their regular stock, the standard unleaded gasoline, and they added 10% ethanol to it. The octane on ethanol doesn't change. It's 113 octane. So you put that 10% in there and it pumped that 87 octane up to 89 octane. Well, then the refiners figured out, you know what? We can make some money off of this oct- uh, off of this octane spread by simply lowering the quality of the blend stock so that when we add that E10, we get back to the 87 octane. So they've done that. So they're saving money on the refining side of things and making money on the ethanol by using it as an octane spike. So all of that with the API now in support of year-round availability of E15, E15 is on the market right now at 88 octane. If this legislation passes and we get year-around availability of E15, how long do you think it will take 
before we've got E15 on the market at 87 octane. Because there's going to be money to be saved on the refining side of things. One more time on on the petroleum side, they're going to save that money and they're going to make more money off their octane spike that comes from blending in a higher percentage of ethanol. I, I, that's got to be the reason. That well, it always comes back to the almighty do- dollar. So Absolutely. That's exactly right. Michelle, thank you so much. No problem. We will talk to you again tomorrow morning when we've got the free-for-all going. Wiesmeyer, Haney, and Wrecker, and me right here on Agritalk.